This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. New South Wales TAB punters, here is your chance to share in $1.3 million in prize money when the Kosciuszko is run at Royal Randwick on October the 17th. You could share in the ownership of one of the 14 runners in the world's richest race for country trained horses. You're in the running if you purchase a $5 ticket via the Tab app or at your local TAB outlet or enter as many times as you like by purchasing multiple tickets. Ticket sales close on September the 7th and 14 winners will be drawn on September the 9th. If your name or the name of your syndicate is drawn, you'll then have the opportunity to select a horse to race in your entry. Then your negotiating skills will be put to the test as you endeavour to reach agreement with the owners regarding a prize money split. Bell Flyer won it in 2018, Handle the Truth won it last year. You could share in the ownership of the 2020 Kosciuszko winner when the big race is run at Randwick on October the 17th. Tickets are available right now via your Tab app or at your local TAB outlet. The Victorian Metropolitan Jockeys Premiership for 2019-2020 saw Craig Williams notch his ninth title, only two behind the record held by the legendary Roy Higgins. In the junior ranks, 21-year-old Michael Poy made a two consecutive apprentices' titles, a spectacular achievement so early in a career which has already brought him 195 winners, including 73 in town. A close study of young Michael Poy's bloodlines clearly illustrate that he was certainly born to ride racehorses, but nobody could have predicted he'd ride them as well as he does. His father, Michael Clark, had a stellar career which brought him four Melbourne Jockeys Premierships and more than 50 Group 1 winners. His uncles, Gary and Peter, were successful riders, while his paternal grandfather, Arthur Clark, rode many winners before turning to training. His late mother, Janelle, was a daughter of successful jockey Les Poy and a niece of Carmen Poy, who was to marry former jockey and trainer Mick Hood. Their son, Michael Jr., also rode successfully in Sydney. For the first 12 months of his apprenticeship to Stuart Webb at Caulfield, Michael didn't sit on a horse. It was nothing but the constant grind of mucking boxes, filling water buckets, mixing feeds and dressing horses, but he did learn how to remove a shoe and tack it back on again and several other things that not all apprentices get to do. When he finally started riding track work, he thought he'd be at the races in no time, but he was in for a shock. Let's talk to Melbourne's champion apprentice for 2019-2020, Michael Poy, who's online to join us on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Mike. No, thanks for having me on, uh, Mr. Tap. And congratulations, two consecutive junior titles. You must be very proud. Oh, we are. And um, look, it's it's been a lot of hard work. And you know, harder you work, luckier you get in in this game. But um, got to say big thanks to all the all those big trainers that have helped me. Um, Henry Dwyer for starters, my boss with. The Hawks stable, um, Mike Maroney, uh, Friedman's, mm-hmm. just you know, the list goes on. Philip Stokes, um, Waller, um, Darren Weir when he was here, Smurden, Stuart Webb, and look, a lot, a lot of those trainers 
helped me be where I am today, and I, I wouldn't have been here because um, you got to be on the, you know, you got to be on the um, the right horses to get the results. And did you yeah. mention Ma and Eustace there? Oh yes, Kieran Ma and Eustace. I've actually ridden a lot of winners for them in town, but um, yeah, they've they've been super to me. My manager, Reese Murphy, all all family and friends, and um, look, you gotta you gotta have every part of that. And if I had one part missing, I wouldn't have uh, been here today. Now, Michael, when you finally started to ride track work after that first thankless year, you thought you'd be at the races in five minutes. You were in for a shock. I, I did. Um, it actually it started off with I was going down to Shane Stockdale's on my school holidays and I'd live down there with him. Um, um, and what a fantastic family they are with Haley and Sophie and um, the, all, all the Stockdale's are real fantastic. And um, I would stay mm. down there on the school holidays and, Hey, Shane would get me working. He'd start at 2 a.m. in the morning and um, work right through the day, really. He'd take his resources to the track and then go back home and do the breakers. And um, it'd, it'd be a real long day for me. But um, that's where I did start. And honestly, God, I went down there and I, I couldn't have put I couldn't put a head collar on. Um, I couldn't do anything. So I was down there for a few school holidays just doing the real basics. Um, then I came to Caulfield and I was actually with Kieran Ma at the start. Um, for a little oh, bit, yep. Um, and just just for a bit of work experience type thing, when Dad knew an owner there, and mm. he um, was able to get me in there just for about two or three weeks. And I remember the one morning, Stuart Webb, um, Kieran at the time only had a few horses. He, he wasn't as big as what he is now, and mm. he didn't really have the right horses for me to learn to ride. Um, and I remember one morning he was training up next to Stuart Webb in the same barn, actually. And Stuart Webb said to me, "Oh." What do, you, what do you want to be, kid? And he said, I turned around and said to him, oh, I want to be a jockey, an apprentice jockey. And yeah. they had no idea that my dad was Michael Clark. They just thought I was a – to be honest, they didn't know who I was. Um, they know, yeah. knew none of my family or anything. So that didn't come into play. But um, he, he said, all right, you start tomorrow. There's three things I want you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be early. you got to dress good. And um, you got to <laughs> show a good work ethic. And – I remember the first day I started, he sent me sent me into the boxes, and I was almost a bit scared of horse. I wouldn't go near him, but um, mm. that's how I started. And look, I begged him to ride every day. And the closest I got to riding was he used to put me up on top of the the gate, the mm. gates where you swing into the boxes. Yeah, and I have to stand on top of them like a jockey, get down in a jockey position, mm. and he would move the gate. And um, that was me balancing practice for the day. But that, that's how close <laughs> I got to. Riding a horse for about twelve months, but um, yeah. Well, when you finally got into the saddle, Stuart Webb insisted you ride in a massive number of jump outs and unofficial trials before you were even licensed to ride in the official barrier trials. So by the time you got to ride in your first race in October two thousand and seventeen, you'd been given a massive grounding. I did. It, it probably doesn't look like it if you watch the footage. Um, it was, I was a bit all over the shop on that horse. But, uh, mm. look, I, I did have a big grounding. I, I was riding track work for probably two years beforehand. But, they like, as, you know, at the time, Aquanita, they had a massive number of horses. And, you know, we would have probably 10 to 15 jump out on a Tuesday. Then Monday at Cranbourne, they would also have, you know, up to 20 horses trial there. And yeah. I'd be going from... Uh, Monday, Cranbourne jump outs, the Tuesday jump outs at Caulfield, and then I'd head to Darren Weir's twice a week. So, mm. you know, I was doing probably 20 jump outs, 30 jump outs a week for a whole year, and um, he pushed me to do a 1,000 trials. He made, used to make me have a 
a log book in, um, yeah. at home and I'd have to write down every horse I rode track work for the morning, what its name was, what work it did, um, how it felt, and then I'd have to do the same for all my jump outs. So mm. look, he, he, he didn't leave any stone unturned and he, he wanted me to do that. So when I went to become an apprentice, I could take my log book in and say, this is every horse I've ridden, this is all the jump outs I did. Mm. So, you know, they've got no excuse to knock you back because to be in the Victorian um to be in the Victorian Apprentice Program, it's a privilege, not a, not something that just comes and look. Mm. They only take you know five or so every year. In my year, they only took five, and there was you know up, upwards of fifty people apply. So it is hard to get in. It's a privilege, and mm. um, I think everyone that gets in once once they realise the program and that you know you, you do see those kids at track work getting knocked back, um, you realise that you're lucky just to be in it. Now, Michael, you were just a toddler when your dad quit the saddle. So a number of years went by before you even started to realise the extent of his achievements. But you were surrounded by racing people as you were growing up and you slowly learned the terminology, the language of racing. I have. Um, I have no real memory of dad riding, but I, we did, I know we lived overseas in Singapore and Mauritius throughout those seasons over there while he rode when I was just um, quite young, but look, mm. he did retire early, and I wish he, I wish he kept riding because I would have loved to um, mm. have seen him and known how he rode and things like that. But look, we used to, we would have um, barbecues at my nan's house quite often when I was growing up, and mm. you would have Gary there and Peter Clark and Arthur Clark and Dad, and you know that they would all be. That's all they ever spoke about. Dad uh, had his first ride when he was fifteen. He left school when he was, I think, fourteen and a half around that age, and. So that's all he knew. He, he, he doesn't know anything else except racing, mm. uh, same as his brothers. So the only conversation was racing. <laughs> I know in the car when we're driving anywhere, the only channel is 927. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't change from that. And uh, the only TV channel we have on in our house is Sky 1, Sky 2 or Racing.com now. <laughs> well, there was a defining moment almost seven years ago when you knew you wanted to be a jockey, and this is how it happened. You were watching the W.S. Cox Plate on television with your dad, and you saw a very young Chad Schofield win the great race on Seamus Award. And from that moment on, you were driven. I was. Um, I, I always was interested in horse racing, but that that kind of flicked the switch a little bit. Um, after that, I ended up going into Shane Stockdale shortly after, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see him win the Cox Plate, and I think it carried 48 and a half kilos. And I remember we were at a um, bent, we were at the Bentley Club at the time, just around the corner from our house. And um, I went went down into the gym. They've got a gym there, and I weighed myself, and I was 47 and a half kilos. And <laughs> I come back up, and I told me that, oh, you know, I could have ridden that, and, <laughs> and um, that that kind of turned the switch. But uh, yeah, look, it, it it probably did it flick the switch a little bit. I was always on the the border of picking which way do I go? Do I stay at school or I, you know, throw that away and um, give this 100% and mm. uh, that was a bit of the turning moment. Mm. And Chad, of course, is still going well in Hong Kong and his father, Glyn Schofield, rode a winner at Randwick on Saturday. Now, yeah. your mum, Michael, Janelle, was absolutely horrified when you started making noises about leaving school. She was. Um, I, I, I attended St James College in East Bentley and, um, what a fantastic school that was to me. But my mum wanted me to finish year 11 and 12 and go to St. Bede's. Um, but 
my dad had different plans. He once I once I knew I wanted to be a jockey, um, there wasn't a huge drive for me to stay at school year eleven and twelve because I only would have gotten a bit heavier and um, would have taken a bit longer. But look, my mum wasn't the keenest on me leaving school. We had to have a meeting with the school, and I remember a teacher, Barry Wood. He was the woodwork teacher. He is, mm. and um, my mum sat down with him and said, "Oh, he can't leave school. He's only." You know, 15, 16, rah, rah, rah. And um, he said, look, we have over 500 kids at this school and by the time they leave year 10, because St. James only went to year 10, mm. um, he said they have no idea what they, what subjects they want to choose, what uni course they're heading down, if they're going VCAL or um, what they're doing. So he said for your kid to know what he wants to do at this age, um, I'll definitely let him go out and do it. And I think Dad swung off. Whatever Mr. Wood said, he was mm. he was cheering, and uh, Mum eventually came around and uh, was happy to let me go. I can't let the moment pass, Michael, without asking: Did you say Barry Wood was the yeah, woodwork yeah. teacher? How well Barry, named was he? He was. I think he was he was named into his job really, but he <laughs> was a he was a real fantastic person at school, and um, he's still there today. And he 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 taught me how to put a chair together. Really, mm, can you still do it? Uh, yeah, I think I could <laughs> if, you had, if I had the tools. Yeah. Now, you had one great advantage over most apprentices. Mum and Dad lived close to Caulfield and you were able to live at home. All the comforts. Oh, uh, it, it is the biggest advantage. I'm good friends with T.O. Nugent and um, he comes from War- Warnable to um, Caulfield to Kieran Ma. Um, he started, he went to Ireland actually for a year of riding, but Look, he lived in the stables there and he had a, a little place called the office, we used to call it. And mm-hmm. um, look, it just would have been a lot harder. Not not so much the setup. Kieran had him in a nice room and, you know, he had all the facilities there. But um, just the, the difference from being away from your family and mm-hmm. uh, I had my mum and dad and, you know, um, it just would have made it a lot easier where he, he, he was on by himself, but he used to come mm-hmm. around to my house most nights. And mm-hmm. look, um, he was always invited here and he used to come over and, um, I think if I was in his position, I would have loved to have someone like me to do what uh, we did mm. for him. Now, here's a date uh, for your scrapbook, the 10th of October, 2017. It's a three-year-old maiden over 1,000 metres at Mornington and Robert Smurden decides to put you on a pretty speedy little horse he was training at the time. It was your first ride in a race and as it, it was the horse's first start in a race. Nobody knew how good that horse would be one day. Oh, I think Robert might have had a good idea. I remember um, Stuart Webby, he told me you're going to have your first ride on Thursday, but they wouldn't put, tell me who it was. Mm. Uh, they wouldn't, and they didn't put me down on the horse until very late. Um, so what happened is Stuart Webb organised for me to go ride track work the Wednesday morning at Mornington. He uh, called up. Tony Noonan and um, Dan Williams, who was foreman there and had one in work um, in his own name there. Um, yeah, he, he organised me to go have a ride around the track, so I had a canner around and Dad mm. came with me that morning on the the Wednesday morning and we had a walk around the track and did all that. But, look, it didn't matter on the day. I was uh, mm. going flat out from – I drew barrier seven over a 1,000 metres there and I think I mm. nearly stayed seven wide, but mm. lucky the horse was as good as it was. Yeah. Um, now, we've told him everything but the horse's name, Michael. Yeah, the horse was Nature Strip. Oh, good. It just got – um. 
I saw the other day it just got uh, rated the fastest sprinter in the world or the best sprinter in the world. And will probably start favourite in the Everest in October. And I'll be cheering it on. I, I love watching it race. Um, <laughs> it's a privilege to say I wrote, was able to ride it its first start, but that's just a credit to Stuart Webb and Robert Spurden. It shows how, um, you know, not, not the normal boss would put them on a, a first starter like that. I know Tio Nugent went and rode one for his boss at Cassidon, mm. um, its first start. And I remember Stuart and Robert, they didn't want to send me to Cassidon or somewhere far away because mm. they all wanted to get down there and watch it. They they were either going Cranbourne or Mornington at the time and they chose Mornington because it's only, you know, that 40 minutes away from Caulfield. And I remember the day we they only had, I think, two runners and they sent all three trucks down and all two floats down filled with people from all the stable. Um mm. All the stable members were there, and they all had the afternoon off. Yeah, and um, but all so, there to give you a cheer. Yeah, they were because you know that oh, it was two years before I started riding, so I knew everyone very well in the stable. Yeah. And you know, the, like the normal boss doesn't really do that for their apprentice. Um, Robert no. gave everyone the afternoon off and said, "Look, we're going to go watch him ride," and they all floated up there and Isn't watched me great? ride. I remember that they put um, my nickname was Pup in the stables. It still is, and they actually wrote that on the horse. So it was it was a big <laughs> moment for me and. I think it was a, it it was about two dollars into a dollar forty and yeah uh, yeah it was a bit of a market mover for me first ride. Now, Michael, you tell me it wasn't a pretty ride. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I remember I I come out from seven, probably half a length slow, and uh, Robert. I remember in the mounting yard, Robert said, "Look, don't worry about this. Just have fun. Um, just do what you do in the jump outs." Uh, he said, whatever you do, don't get stuck in behind one on this horse mm. and uh, just let it run. He says, I don't I don't mind if you're three wide. He says, just get it around the turns nice and safe. When you straighten up, just ride it hands and heels. He said, you won't have to hit this. Just steer it round and you'll, you'll have a good time. And yeah. um, when he laid me up on the horse, he said, hey, this this will win the Oakley Plate in a few starts. <laughs> oh, after that. Me. And you're in so, a maiden at Mornington. I was in a maiden at Mornington. <laughs> but, um. Look, he, it wasn't the prettiest of rides, but I don't think any first uh, no, apprentice having their not. first ride is, is mm-hmm. pretty. But, look, it was a big step up from the jump outs and I probably learned as much as I could from the jump outs because Roberts, Roberts Merton and Stuart Webb's jump outs, they, were never, they never really went went under the throttle in the jump outs. They just mm-hmm. they come out, they settled. There was a more of an education trial and um, they just went to the line under a hold. It was never really ride them strong out to the line. So, mm-hmm. look, they were, they were never – you you, you kind of can only learn so much from the jump outs and trials you do, but look, it was a big step going on the races. But um, look, I had to take it at some time and um, it was good enough for them to put me on a horse like that. Now, Michael, just over two years ago, this is how far you came in a short time, you were thrilled to represent your country in the Longines Pre-Future Racing Stars Series at Chantilly Racecourse near Paris on French Oaks Day, and you followed in the footsteps of Patrick Maloney, Jessica Payne, Beau Mertens, Talia Hope, and Lockie King. Now, what was the format? It was two races in one day, wasn't it? I only had the the one ride. Mm-hmm. Um, what a fantastic experience that was! It was at Chantilly, which would be the most probably the most picturesque track in the world. Yeah, uh, beautiful. Mm. I sat I sat aside Frankie Dettori, Jamie Spencer, Ryan Morse, and. You know, real idle jockeys over in um, Ascot and Newmarket type area. But look, what a fantastic the trip the uh, race in Victoria do for for our apprentices. You you don't see the Sydney Apprentice School doing this, or you know, all the other apprentice schools. They um they organise this type of trip. And 
Look, I flew over. There was apprentices from Ireland, South Africa, Hungary, all all throughout the world. They were Japan. There was an apprentice from there. And uh, look, I, I remember I drew. We couldn't really do the form. We had no idea the replays, but. Um, I, we actually went and rode work for a trainer for three or four days, mm-hmm. and I wrote, worked for Nicholas Clement, who's not not a huge trainer over there. He's probably got that, that 50, 50 horses in work, but he's a very astute trainer. He's, mm-hmm. he's a bit more of quality, not quantity, but his mm-hmm. brother's champion trainer in uh, America, and his dad was also champion trainer in America, so mm-hmm. they've got uh, amazing bloodlines also. But uh, I worked for him, and he was able to help me with the race and um, how to ride the track. And look, I was just got beat ahead um, just by a nose, but look, a fantastic experience. And I've got to thank Mel Weatherly. She went over with mm. me, and mum and dad came also, and Matt Pumper, who's now in Singapore. But mm. look, they were fantastic. And um, what a fantastic trip that is for all the apprentices. And look, if you ever get the opportunity as an apprentice in Melbourne to go, definitely take it because it is uh, a yeah. once in a lifetime. Well, Thomas Stockdale represented last year, and of course this year it didn't happen. Now, we're going to pause for a moment, Michael, to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you very shortly. English sales graduates dominated the Group 1 scene right through the 2019-2020 season. They got away to a flying start when Samadout won the Wink Stakes, the first Group 1 of the season. Bow and Declare won the Melbourne Cup, Exceedance won the Coolmore Stud Stakes, Super Seth won the Caulfield Guineas, Natoya the Doncaster, Quick Thinker the Australian Derby, and Nature Strip the TJ Smith, just to name a few. In total, Australia's leading thoroughbred auctioneers provided 22 individual Group 1 winners. They had the biggest number of stakes winners who won the biggest number of races. English sold the highest number of three-year-old Group 1 winning Colts and the highest number of stakes winning fillies and mares. Won't be long now and the Group 1 round starts all over again with the Wink Stakes at Randwick on August the 22nd. You can bet the English graduates will be right in the thick of the action again in the new racing season. Well, not long after your trip to Chantilly in Paris, your first Metropolitan winner came up at Ballarat on Cup Day, which was actually classed as a city meeting, and you won an open sprint on a very popular horse, Jungle Edge. It was a soft seven track. He'd fancy that. He was. The, um, he's, he's been a really good horse to me. Uh, Mick Bell and all the owners, they're fantastic. Um, I remember I got the, the call for the ride, and it, it was on a Saturday at Ballarat, and I was a little bit excited because the horse was in the market and, you know, we all, we all know, I knew the horse very well, everyone does, and the rain came just enough for him. Uh, mm. I remember Mick Bell told me, just easy ride, mate, go to the front, stick to the rail, and if you win, you win, and if you don't, you don't. He wasn't too worried, but, look, um, the horse is a tough horse. He's been good to me throughout my career, and um, I was able to get the money on that day. It's well documented, Michael, that Caulfield is going to close as a training centre in two or three years, and I think some of the Caulfield trainers are already looking at relocating, and one of them is your master, Henry Dwyer. I hear he's going to Ballarat. When will that happen? Um, he's, he's already started the move. He's, he's moved to few of the horses, or most of the horses, I'd say, but he's got a fantastic setup at St. Leonard's. Um, 
he's going to have a fantastic setup at Ballarat. He's just there still aren't a bit, you know, still a bit of building going on. But I think Ballarat could be the place to be. It's got the uphill track. The, the they've just put in that synthetic racing track there, so it's going to be a very popular track with the grass and the synthetic. They'll be doing a lot of racing there. Yep. Um, and he's he's still got the setup at Caulfield, and I think he might hold that until it closes. Uh, there, Caulfield's a very good place for two-year-olds because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of horses, and you you r- rarely find you know those two-year-old races are mostly one out of Caulfield and Flemington mm. trainers. But mm. you know, as a trainer, he's got every aspect covered. He works them on the beach at St Leonard's near Geelong. He's got the uphill track at uh, Ballarat, and he's got the for the two-year-olds to set up at Caulfield. Mm. Now you've still got eighteen months to go on your apprenticeship, so you'll you'll stay at Caulfield, I presume. Yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of time. I've only got, um, I think, seven Metropolitan winners left to go on my claim. So right. I'll probably attend Caulfield and look after or outride my claim. I'll, I'll become a senior jockey and um, start the battle from there. Mm. Well, Craig Williams and Damien Oliver have been your role models to date. And it was Craig Williams who gave you a surprise gift last year and he delivered it personally. He did. He, he um Dropped off a mechanical horse when I first started riding, um, and and he, he, you know he always drops off uh, gear and neck straps, and you know he's always in the jockey room giving out gloves and goggles and little things like that. He's he's a generous person. I know since this COVID nineteen started, uh, the race clubs have stopped supplying food due to health, you know, t- mm. touching the food and everyone putting their hands in it. So he actually brings uh, a big shopping bag of. Uh, food like he'll, he'll bring two minute noodles or a packet of biscuits and he brings that for, for everyone and he puts it out on the table so that's the type of person he is and mm. Damien mm. Oliver as a rider you couldn't get a better CV than him he's he, there's not one group one I don't think he's one in uh, Australia but he's he's probably the all-round best but um look Craig Williams he's just one of the nicest people in the jockey's room and he um he'll do whatever he can to help a young apprentice Let's brush through some of the nice horses who've helped you to win two Melbourne premierships. Now, Steel Prince uh, we'll start with, the imported horse. He's been good for you. You've had three rides for three wins on Steel Prince at Hillside, Caulfield and Flemington. I think Anthony Friedman has had him all along. He has. He was a Darren Weir horse. I remember I rode him first up at uh, Sandown Hillside over 1,800, and he was a bit of a roughie that day. He was about 13 to 1. And mm. um, I watched his trials. He let up two trials at Belnairing over 1,000 metres, which were pretty pretty impressive. You know, he showed a bit of speed for a stayer. Mm. And um, I don't think they gave him a huge amount of hope. But, look, he was able to jump, just sit off the speed. And he only won by a nose that day, which, um, you know, first up, he was probably just that needed to run a little bit. But he, he got there in the end, and I was able to keep aboard him. There's some fantastic owners in him who have uh, stuck by me. And from there, he, the horse went to Mornington, won again. Um, then I got back on him at Caulfield. He was about a dollar eighty favourite. I was pretty nervous, and he won by about <laughs> six lengths that day. Needn't have been so, nervous. Pardon? You needn't have been nervous, six lengths. Yeah, yeah I didn't need to be nervous. Uh, mm. That was over 2,400. Then I went to Flemington and rode him over the 2,400 and he, uh, he he didn't draw the nicest of gates there. We ended up just settling outside the leader and he pulled a bit that day, but he still won uh, by about a head and he went on from there. I, I got taken off him. He went on to the, uh, the the race that gives you a run into the Melbourne Cup. I believe it's the Andrew Ramson. Uh, Damien Oliver yes. gave him a ride there. He just beat Surprise Baby a nose and 
he went on to the Melbourne Cup with a lightweight and Brett Preble rode him. Yeah, and he ran a good race in the Melbourne Cup. He finished ninth, but he was only two lengths from the winner and he hasn't raced since, Mike. What's happened to him? I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm not quite sure where, where he's been, but look, he's, he'll probably be from, I'd say if he's, if he's all right, he'll be for a Melbourne Cup prep again. Mm. You were very sad when a horse called Rupture broke down. You had one ride for one win on Rupture in the Werribee Cup for trainer Paul Pruska. I did. I um, I got aboard him Werribee Cup day and they had the two rides and, look, it, it was a big thing for Paul Pruska to put me on that horse. I never had a winner for him, never had any luck for him, never done any work for him, but I was able to get that ride that day and he was probably near favourite or second favourite and... Mm. Um, we just settled probably worse in midfield and gave him clear running room and he, he won quite nicely that day. But he, he was an impressive horse. He went on. He was tipped out after that run. He went to um, oh, Dean Holland, rode him in a small country cup. He won well. Then he went to Flemington. Jordan Childs won on him very well. And then the next start, he, he um, sadly went amiss. But look, if I could have ever got back on him, he, he would have been a nice horse for me. Mm. You won three city races on a horse called Miramar for Mike Maroney. Yeah, Miramar's been a really good horse to me, always honest. And a lot of Mike Maroney's horses are honest. He keeps them in, in that same vein of form. They never really tail off, but they're always fit. And Miramar's been a fantastic horse to me. I won him twice down the straight, I believe, and mm. um, he's, he's been good to me. Another Maroney horse to give you a helping hand in your first premiership quest was Milwaukee. I think you won a couple of races on him down the historic Flemington Strait. Uh, yeah, Milwaukee was a good horse. I got on him when I was probably claiming three kilos. and mm. um, Still to this day, he, he always runs good races. He's he's tough, honest. He loves that straight track. And I did have one on – I've ridden him once at Ballarat also, but he, he, he didn't really handle the bend there. He likes that, he likes that straight run at Flemington. Mm. Mike Maroney's been a great supporter. He has, same as Rupert Lee and all, all those big owners. Um Rupert's been fantastic. They've kept me on board. Some nice horses. Uh, Meteor Light I'm riding today. Hurricane Fighter I'm riding today also. So I've had a little bit of luck for him. And mm. that's what you've got to have. You've got to have the owners and the trainers um, both in your corner batting for you. You won two city races recently on a filly called La Chevalier for Mar and Eustace, another stable uh, that have helped you a lot through the season. Yeah, um, She's a nice horse. Uh, she loves the wet tracks. She's tough. She's honest. I won her at Sandown. She only didn't win by the biggest of margins, but it was a good win. Um, then I went to Flemington and won on her also there and then rode her at Mooney Valley prior after that and things didn't pan out and she just probably had enough of racing by then. She got tipped out into the paddock, but she's been a good horse for me and same as Mara and Eustace. They've been big supporters. I've written a lot of winners for them and you only got to look through through their you know their strike rate and runners. I think they won the the state title this year and just finished mm. off behind them in the metropolitan title off the the Hayes Camp. But correct, yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of luck with um the Eustace and Martin. You've got a soft spot for Five Kingdom, who was your very first winner at Historic Flemington. It was, and um that was on New Year's Day at Flemington. I I remember having a few rides for David Hayes that day and. Um, it was a big privilege to ride my first ever winner at Flemington in those famous um, Hayes colours. Mm. Uh, that was a big thing for me. And I know my dad would have been very proud of me and my mum and all my uh, family to ride a win, my first winner at Flemington in those colours. You had one ride for one win 
on one of my favourite horses right at the start of the 1920 season, a pony from Tasmania called the Inevitable, who's won almost three quarters of a million. I doubt there'd be a smaller horse racing in Australia. He's pretty small. I remember that day, Scotty Brunton come and collected me saddle and he said, oh, mate, I need a real small, the smallest girth you have. Mm. So I gave him it and he said, oh, look, this horse doesn't look much. But he said, that's all right because no one else sees the V8 under the bonnet. And um, he was, <laughs> it was absolutely spot on that day. I, yeah. I sat up the odds on favourite of Hawks, um, Wayne Michael and John Hawks' horse. And mm. look, when I pushed the button, uh, that inevitable. The, she's only small, but God, she gave me a good turn of foot. And mm. She hasn't gone on to do a huge amount. She's been running in top, the real top mm. races in the, in the group. She ran in the new market. I rode against her in that and mm. a few other big races, but she's done a fantastic job. And mm. look, she was probably a foot, foot or two taller. Um, you'd have a very serious horse on your hands. Yeah. He mightn't fancy you calling him a she, by the way. Oh, hey, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, little gelding. He did win the Silver Eagle, Michael, at Randwick, the inaugural Silver Eagle, and then he contested the Golden Eagle, but he, he just got too far back. He never got in the race. He did. Yeah. I think that was up to a mile, that race it might have been. Close to, 1,500, yeah. 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 Now, I'm sure our listeners will want to know about your dad's role in your career. I know he drives you around a lot and he takes a tremendous interest in everything you're doing. How much consultation does he offer? Does he wait to be asked or does he usually nip it in the bud if it's worrying him? Um, if it was a good ride, he'll, he'll, he'll give me credit. If it was a bad ride, he'll, he'll, he'll let me know before I ask. Um, mm. But look, he, we do our form before every race meeting, have a good look through the rides and plan the best, the best way we can ride our horse. Um, and then after the race, which is probably the most in, important chat we have, it's what could you have done better and what did you do wrong? Um, look, if I run sixth or seventh, there'll be a small reason why I should have uh, run fifth or fourth, you know, that just to make up that one placing, which will matter in the final um, the final result at the end of the season. But, look, if it's putting your whip in your left hand or coming out a bit earlier or just staying in longer, it's, there's a lot of little things and, Mm. He's been there and done it, and I'm lucky enough to have that uh, that guidance and expertise in my corner. It must have been a fascinating thing for a youngster like yourself, a budding jockey, to hear Dad's stories about champions like Better Loosen Up and At Talak, Almarad, Special, and so many other great horses that he had the pleasure to ride. He he reached the absolute pinnacle of his profession as a jockey. He did. He did. Um, he had a lot of help also with his brothers and his mum and dad were would have helped him tremendously. But look, he mm. he wouldn't have been there without the Hayes camp, and he's always he's always said that they've they supported him and they gave him that chance. Um, anyone could have won on those horses, but he was just lucky enough to have that chance. Mm. Did you see uh, the videos? I'm sure you've seen them several times. Oh uh, yeah. To be honest, he, he he doesn't really. As growing up as a kid, he never had a um. A trophy cabinet or his uh, photos on the walls or anything like that. Mm. But um, just recently, a good family friend did buy us me a trophy cabinet in him also. Um, his trophy cabinet's probably worth upwards of ten million, and mine's only worth about a hundred thousand. But um, <laughs> look, he, we um, we we did watch a lot of replays of him riding, but he mostly uh 
wants me to watch a lot of his old, old idols back then, the Mick mm. Dittman and the Darren Gouchies and yep. their, their rides. And he, he's got a good memory. He remembers all the races and mm. what happened and what he could have done better. But we do watch a few of his replays when they come on racing.com. Yeah. Um, specials on there a little bit. And same as Better Loosen Up, Batalak, Elmalad, they, they all pop up on racing.com mm. every, every now and then. And I think the late Roy Higgins was your dad's absolute idol. Oh, yeah, I think he was everyone's. He's, I, I never got the privilege to meet him at all. Um, but look, it, the way everyone says, they say he was a fantastic person, and um, he was, uh, you know, a bit like the Tiger, oh, not the Tiger Woods, but um, the Michael mm. Jordan or something like that of the racing. Yes. Well, you and Dad are currently coming to terms with the loss of your mum as recently as March of this year. You've been very good for one another. And you've had tremendous support, haven't you, from a small group of friends? I have. Um, it was the hardest thing I've had to deal in my life, same as probably Dad. Um, look, I've got fantastic friends and family. I've got a good girlfriend. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to probably get through it as good as we have um, with Dad and all these people. They, they're helping us. Probably the COVID-19s hasn't been the, the easiest time for it to come because they haven't been able to come over and stuff. But... Look, we've got fantastic support and, um, look, my mum was probably the biggest influence in my career. She not just taught, didn't really teach me much about racing but taught me a lot more about life than anything and, um, look, she'll never be forgotten and she'll be very missed for the rest of our lives. Michael, you've ridden in only one Group 1 race so far, courtesy of Team Hawks. It was a horse called Trope who ran very well in the Oakley Plate and it was decided to run him in the Newmarket Handicap with M. Poy in the saddle. He finished well back, but what an experience. Uh, it, that was a huge experience, probably one of the most prestigious races, the sp the sprint races in Australia. Um, mm. I remember the horse was an outsider. Um, I wasn't too nervous because I had a lot to do with the Hawks stable. I'd never seen the horse before, but when I saw him in the mounting yard, he was a, he was a dashing boy. He, was, looked, he looked the part, but... He probably was just a bit full of himself. He was still a cult. Um, mm. But uh, as you, you, you do try to keep him as long as you can because if they happen to run top three or win a race like that, they're, they're worth a huge amount of money. But, look, what a mm. privilege that Wayne, Michael and John Hawks gave me that day. Um, I'll never forget it. it. Was I've actually got the saddle blanket um, from the race. I, mm. they, they gave me the saddle blanket Flemington as my first group one and I've got that sitting on my mechanical horse that Craig gave me. Good on you. I've seen a photo, actually. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. Many people remain curious about Michael Clark's son riding under the name of Michael Poy. Now, your dad told me in a recent interview that it was a decision reached by the whole family, and he says he gave it his total blessing. Um, yeah, I think it was mainly because my mum was the last line of Poys, mm. and um, look, they were a big family back in the day, and... They started in Chilton, a small town outside Albury, and then there's a few, you know, they went to Albury and um, up towards Sydney Way. But my mum had a, a sister, which was uh, Carmen Poy, mm -hmm. and she married married on and become a Bennett. And so my mum was the last Poy, and um, mm -hmm. if I wasn't a Poy, the, the name would have been finished. And my dad's got two brothers. They're both Clarks. They've both got sons who are Clarks. My dad's got two other sons that are Clarks and mm -hmm. also – grandchildren, that is uh, a Riley Clark. So there's a lot of Clarks around, but mm. there's um, not many poise left. So my mum wanted me to continue that name and um, Dad was fine with that and that's how it really 
really was. Mm. You mentioned uh, your half-brother there. I think his name is James. He rode a few winners too, James Clark. Yeah, James was apprentice in Melbourne. Um, I believe he was at Tony Vassell's for a while and around the, the Caulfield area, and he, he moved up to Queensland, Gold Coast. Um, but he, he, he got too heavy and suffered a few falls. But, look, that, Dad's always said I was a bit young still then, but Dad, Dad always said he had a, a lot of ability. But the weight and uh, injuries probably got to him, and it's it's a gruelling life. It's not easy. It's mm. track work in the mornings, trials after that, races then, come home and start all again at 4 a.m. and mm. have half a glass of water and some fresh air for dinner. But uh, <laughs> he, he was, he's a bit bigger frame than me, so he had it a bit harder. Yep. Well, apart from two junior uh, apprentices premierships, you've also picked up a couple of prestigious awards along the way, the Rising Stars and the Darren Gauchi. I think the Gauchi Award is judged by the media. Yeah, it's um, a media vote voted based. Uh, so they, they give out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on the, the rides or how many races there are on a Saturday and if they think your yours was the best ride on the day, they'll give you eight points. If they think it was the the worst winning ride, they'll give you one point, I guess. But look, I've I got a I've got a few little trophies in my cabinet. Um, but yeah, that they're probably the biggest ones of uh, my career so far. Mm. You're only six or seven wins away from losing your metropolitan claim, and I know you're a little worried about the likely effects because you've then got to compete on equal terms against an army of outstanding jockeys in Victoria. Michael, uh, your dad tells me that you've always had a great work ethic. You're going to need it now more than ever. We will. We sure will. Um, you have the, the likes of, I was looking uh, yesterday, the Donald races and you have Ben Allen and some serious jockeys heading there to Donald on mm -hmm. a Saturday. But, and, you know, not long ago, Ben Allen was riding group winners and, Riding fan, you know, Saturday winners most Saturdays, but that's how hard the the game is. And look, I'm sure I'll I'll take a backward step as most do, but then it's just um, hopefully upwards upwards from there. You got to keep working hard, build connections, and look, I've got a few good connections. Uh, Tuesday, I've got rides for Philip Stokes and Wayne Hawks, Michael John and Wayne Hawks at uh, Packenham. So they're they're both in the market, you know, four three to one, but. You got to have those those trainers giving you the opportunities. Um, without them, you definitely won't be getting the results. Well, Michael, you've come a long way in a short time. You've conducted yourself with total professionalism every step of the way, and I know your mum would be very, very proud. No, thank you, Mr. Tapp. Um, pleasure to have me on here, and um, that's that's also a credit to the RV Racing School that they have give us media training and little things like that, then um, no, thank you very much. Great pleasure to have you on the podcast, Michael Poy, and the podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis.